Welcome to the Heartbreak to Happiness Show with Sara Davison. If you're struggling with a breakup and you feel shocked, angry, betrayed, devastated, or sad and alone, then this podcast is for you. Best-selling author and award-winning host, Sara Davison, shares how you too can get on with your life to heal, grow, and move from heartbreak to happiness. Here's your host, Sara Davison. Welcome back to the show. And today, my guest is Florence Williams. Florence is a science journalist, author, and podcaster. And her recent book is called Heartbreak. So I am super excited to welcome Florence Williams to the show. Welcome, Florence. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's great to be here. Well, I'm very excited because this is a topic that we haven't really covered, the science behind heartbreak. So first of all, I know that you're a science journalist. Explain to my listeners a little bit what that means. Sure. Um, As a journalist, I'm really drawn to topics in the fields of psychology, anthropology, neuroscience, medical history. And I like to sort of combine all those things together to answer questions that affect us in our daily lives. Wow. Okay. So you went through your own story of heartbreak, and that's what your book, Heartbreak, is all about. Would you mind sharing with me and my listeners a little bit about your story? So, I mean, it's an interesting one for sure. So, yeah, I would love you to share it. Sure. Yeah. I had been married for 25 years, actually met the man who would be my husband on my first day of university when I was 18 years old. We were married for 25 years and it was, I thought, a good marriage, two kids, two interesting careers. It was Everything was going pretty well, but he decided that he didn't want to stay married. He wanted to, he told me he wanted to go find his soulmate. And so it was really devastating. It was a horrible experience. I had never experienced heartbreak before. Um, it was deeply wrapped up also in feelings of anxiety and fear because I had never lived alone, been alone um, without a partner. I didn't really know who I was outside of the context of this long marriage uh, because I had only been with him as an adult. And there was tremendous grief, a lot of sense of isolation and loneliness. And then what really surprised me about it, though, was how deeply my emotions got registered in my body. So I felt my body changing. I felt really tense, had trouble sleeping, lost a ton of weight that I didn't want to lose, ended up in the hospital because my pancreas wasn't working right. My metabolism was all messed up. And so I wanted to find out there had been so much art about heartbreak, but not very much science. What was happening to my immune system um, and what could I do to get better? And that's why I wrote this book. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I mean, they're fascinating stories. And it's interesting from the science perspective, because as a coach, I see people going through it and they're dealing with those symptoms, like not being able to sleep and feeling that isolation and that anxiety and the overwhelm that you get. So, I mean, I know that you went on this journey to discover and try and find different things that would help you. So where did you start? Well, I talked to a psychologist who told me that the people who seem to recover really well from these kinds of traumatic events are the ones who are really able to, and I had never heard this before, the ones who are able to appreciate beauty and experience awe. And that immediately interested me because I had written quite a lot about the connection between being in nature uh, and the brain and how good it is for us emotionally, good for our nervous systems. You know, it can reduce our stress hormones and 
and make us feel more creative and calm. So I thought that was wildly hopeful. I had heard already so much terrible news about what happens to people who go through divorce, uh, especially women in terms of financial security, but all of us really in terms of health. People who are divorced have 23% increased risk of early death. They have increased risk of heart failure for up to nine years after the split, increased risk of neurocognitive disease, metabolic disease, you know, it just goes on and on. And so I knew that I felt an incredible urgency to try to get better as soon as I could. And I would try to do it by, among other things, spending a lot of time outside. It's very true, isn't it? You know, just going for a walk uh, in nature, especially by water, I find really is very calming. But yeah, I mean, those stats are quite shocking. Why do you think that heartbreak does hurt so much? Why, why is it that we're suddenly in that risk category? Because I, I, I had no idea of those, those statistics. Yeah, it is really shocking. Uh, and it's because we are mammals who are very social. We're hypersocial creatures. Our bonds that we form with each other are really how we survive. Uh, and this has been true you know, for our deep evolutionary past. And so when our primary attachment bond takes off, we literally feel abandoned. And our body doesn't really make the distinction between being rejected in love and being literally left out on the savanna by ourselves to be circled by hyenas. And so our nervous systems freak out. I mean, they feel like we are in a state of threat because we feel alone, which we know is really uh, where we're going to be less safe. And so our immune system changes. We start pumping out more inflammation. Our gene expression changes in ways that make us put out more inflammation because we expect almost to suffer a wound from a predator or from an injury while we're feeling alone, literally. Oh, I mean, I hadn't really thought about it like that. But I mean, I know that there is a, a, you know, a lot of people cycle into this sort of depression and then it lasts for a long period of time and people find it very hard to get yeah. out of. Is yeah. that what you experienced? I didn't actually experience depression, although we do know that depression does increase uh, after uh, a major heartbreak like this. Um, what I did experience was anxiety. So I had a lot of the sort of fear. Some people say that anxiety is the missing stage of grief because you are afraid of the future. You don't know what it looks like. You thought your life was going to look a certain way and all of a sudden the rug, it gets pulled out from under you and you don't feel the ground beneath your feet anymore. You don't know where you are, who you're going to be. It can be a very frightening experience. Yeah. And you mentioned grief there, which I think is interesting because you know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross created that lost cycle, didn't she, which was for the grief that you go through when somebody dies. And it's a well-known fact that divorce is the second most traumatic experience that we go through after death of a loved one. So how does that romantic grief, you can call it that, differ from that bereavement kind of? Well, it's very similar in some ways in terms of the sense of abandonment, the sense of kind of anger sometimes that you've been left by someone, the loneliness you know, the loss of self-identity. So we know that after you experience the death of a loved one, um, some of the symptoms and feelings are going to be the same. The feelings of abandonment, maybe the feelings of anger, fear of the future, um, feeling like you're maybe lost some identity because you're used to being in a couple. But then you layer in this added pain of rejection, um, this sort of social anxiety and the social loss. Uh, we don't like, as humans, we really don't like feeling like um, we've been rejected by someone, feeling like we're being compared to other people. This change in sort of social status, we take very, very seriously and deeply um, inside our nervous system. 
Yeah, and I think there's also a lot of stigma in still around about divorce, even though yeah. I'm working hard to change that. But I think there is still a lot of stigma. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of shame. There's a sense that maybe you've done something wrong. Um, and and it, it can be kind of a lonely experience, too, because maybe in, in my case, I didn't know any close friends who were also divorced. Among college-educated couples, divorce is actually quite rare. It's half the rate that it was 40 years ago. So even though a lot of us grew up with divorce, we don't see it so much uh, in our sort of social circles anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think less people are getting married as well, aren't they? So I think, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting thing, but I mean, that the impact of romantic grief on us, you know, obviously you've mentioned some of them there, but there's also the confidence, which again, when that's damaged, it, it stops you from being able to move forward anyway, doesn't it? It has a big impact on just recreating that social group again. It really does. When, when you're, your sort of primary partner leaves, you feel like you're unworthy maybe of love. And so it gets to very deep issues of self-esteem uh, and self-confidence. And, and all that takes a while to kind of dig yourself out from. So what were the, some, I mean, I know you've talked there about being in nature, the power of nature, how important that is. And I totally agree with that. And I'm glad that there's like science to back it up. You know, it's good to know that there, that does really work for a good reason. But yeah, what other things are there that you tried that, yeah. that are based on science? Well, I did sort of extreme nature, for one thing. So instead of just walking in the woods like I normally do, I actually embarked on a 30-day wilderness trip. I paddled a river in Utah, and I did half of that, so two weeks of it solo, totally alone, because I felt like I needed to learn how to regain a sense of um, self-reliance and bravery. I needed to literally learn how to paddle my own boat, and I wanted that sort of deep um, sort of separation a little bit from the distractions of culture and modern life to kind of figure out some of those big questions. Um, I also did a number of different types of therapy. I want to go back to that. You went off in the wilderness. I mean, for us Brits, we're imagining like bears and, you know, I mean, all sorts. On your own. That wasn't an organized trip. You were on your own. Yeah. I mean, in my experience and with working with thousands of people around the world, there are some pretty dark moments when you're in your safety of your own house that you manage when you're going through that kind of grief. What on earth? I mean, how did you cope out in the wilderness? I mean, how? Well, you're right. Uh, It can be a scary experience. Um, And in fact, there were moments where I was like, what am I doing out here in the wilderness by my by myself? I mean, there are so many great things about it, the time to reflect and the beauty and the awe. But sometimes there were also moments of, um, you know, I'm going down a dark hole in my brain of all the things, all my flaws and all the things I've done wrong. And they're, my, my best girlfriends are not here, you know, to sort of reassure me that I'm that I'm being an idiot. And you have to really be very aware of your surroundings because there are wild animals. There are, you know, bad weather events. Uh, there were no bears where I was really down there in Southern Utah, no grizzly bears anyway. I did see some some beavers and a lot of beautiful birds. Um, yeah. And so it was a wonderful experience, but it was also a little bit lonely, in fact, when maybe what I should have been doing was spending more time with friends and family. So I learned from that experience that it wasn't the total cure. Nothing I tried was the total cure. Everything got me a little bit closer. I mean, I think that's amazing because you're building your self-reliance, which is something that I talk a lot, my listeners yeah. will know. I talk a lot about you've got to build your own self-reliance. Nothing like actually, you know, metaphorically paddling your own boat out in Utah. I mean, that's amazing. But that loneliness, you know, escaping from everyone else, 
Yeah, I think sometimes people say, I don't want to be alone because that's just terrifying. And that's their biggest fear. They're going to be alone forever when their partner leaves them. But sometimes, you know, there is a real beauty, as you said, in, in that solitude, which is not so much being alone, but it's getting away from the noise. That's right. Getting away from the noise. You have to learn who you are again. You have to reconstruct your sense of self. And sometimes that's easy when you have a lot of time to reflect and to sort of test yourself a little bit, you know, out in in the wilderness. But actually, in retrospect, I think we can learn a lot about ourselves within the context of our existing relationships, you know, and in our social roles. So, you know, I, I think both of them are important. Are you struggling to cope with your breakup or divorce? Are you feeling devastated, heartbroken, sad and anxious? If so, please know that you are not alone and there is help available. Sarah Davison, best known as the Divorce Coach, and her team of accredited coaches are here to offer you the support and guidance you need to navigate all areas of your breakup. Take back your control and start feeling happy again. Sarah will show you how to dial down those controlling negative emotions, unhook from your ex, get back in the driving seat of your life and design a future you are excited to live. Sarah has a range of solutions to support any breakup, including free guides, one-to-one coaching, her Heartbreak to Happiness virtual retreats, live retreats, and you can even train to be a breakup and divorce coach with Sarah too. Visit www.saradavison.com today and start to feel happy again. So maybe a retreat with other people might be safe middle ground. Okay, right. Now I do want to hear about the other therapies that you tried. Okay, well, I had a wonderful therapist, sort of conventional therapy. She was terrific. But then I also tried a workshop for divorcing people, specifically uh, doing EMDR, which is a kind of therapy. Yeah, it's often used, I think, in the context of trauma, emotional trauma. Uh, There is some science, you know, suggesting that it is more effective than some other forms of therapy. Um, so that was a weekend workshop, and I thought that was really interesting and helped me recognize, uh, you know, some things that I hadn't been thinking about before. So for those people who don't know what EMDR is, do you want to just explain a little bit about what it is? Yeah, it stands for um, Eye Movement Desensitization. And what's the R? Do you know the R? Rap- no, it wasn't rapid, was it? Um, um, eye Movement Desensitization rap- and reorganization, something like that. Yeah, and it's, it's a ridiculous name. That's what It's it a is. ridiculous name. <laughs> it has to do with typically in a therapy session, you are asked to recount a painful um, experience or event. And then your therapist goes like this back and forth with her finger and you track it with your eyes. And there's something about that bilateral motion um, that is supposed to help decouple the memory from the really intense feelings. So, so that we get to a point where we can just like, oh yeah, I remember, I remember these things that happened, but I'm not going to like completely go into a state of panic or fight or flight about it. It's interesting. I mean, it worked for me with PTSD. It was one thing that managed to give me like some control over things. So that was that I found that really useful. Okay. Yeah. EMDR. I really love that. 
So another like pretty extreme thing that I tried was actually um, working with a, a therapist to do some psychedelics. So um, because there's emerging research about how this can be really good for trauma and also good for perspective taking, you know, perhaps seeing awe, you know, really capital letter awe that you can have. So I tried psilocybin, which is basically magic mushrooms, uh, as well as um, at the same time, MDMA or ecstasy. Um, which is supposed to sort of open your heart, make you less fearful. And so I worked with a therapist to do this in a very safe clinical setting. And clinical setting, like in an indoor environment. Because I know, I mean, one of my good friends has been on one of these retreats and you go off with a shaman and you're in the woods and you're doing these things. You're not talking about that. No, this wasn't someone who's trying to be a shaman or anything like that. Um, she's a therapist. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty clinical. I mean, I started with a number of intentions of what I wanted to sort of get out of the experience. And then we talked, you know, afterwards about, you know, what it meant and sort of bringing it home. It's not for everybody, you know, and I'd certainly would suggest being very careful about finding someone you really trust and feel safe with. But I was in her office for like six hours. I mean, a long time. And I was lying down with an eye, you know, an eye mask on and music playing. And it was very interesting, powerful experience. And by the end of it, I, I felt like I had experienced awe in a way that made me feel like I was more connected to other people, to humanity, to nature, to the world around me. My own problems seemed less significant. And I did feel like I was less afraid of the future. I think that sounds fascinating. I think. I would be a bit scared about being out of control. Yeah, I always do. How did you manage those fears and overcome them to, to get to that point? Well, so that's where the ecstasy comes in or the MDMA. So you take that about 30 minutes before you take the psilocybin, which is the sort of more um, psychedelic drug. And the MDMA helps you feel more comfortable with that loss of control, that it's going to be a benign you know, moving positive experience so that if you do see something scary <laughs> while you're tripping, you're not afraid of it. And in fact, I so ex experienced that as one example under the psilocybin, I, I saw these figures that seemed sort of like, you know, the Dementors in the Harry Potter movies or something at one point. I mean, mostly I had really beautiful visions and I was like, oh, you poor little Dementors, why are you so unhappy? Come here and sit by me and I'm going to make you feel better. You know, so it's like I became very maternal towards these kind of ghost-like creatures. You know, it's funny to talk about because it just sounds so crazy, but it's really a powerful experience. It was for me. Okay. And I suppose we have to stress people listening. This was in a controlled environment with a therapist that specializes in this, not just- Not for everybody- yeah, not sure that one would be for me. I think I'd, I would find that a little bit scary. But it's interesting. What So there was a positive, long-lasting benefit from that? Or would you say it was sort of short-lived? No, I would say it was a long-lasting benefit. Yeah, but that that wasn't the end of it. I was I was still, you know, wanting to do more things. And I visited the Museum of Broken Relationships, which is in Zagreb. And that really helped me understand how heartbreak is a shared, universal experience. You know, I had felt like it was a kind of such a, a lonely event in a way, but it was a reminder to see all these other objects that people send in representing their relationships and their heartbreak it was like, oh yeah, we all go through this. We don't always talk about it. And that's why it's so helpful to have this museum that is kind of ritualizing and normalizing the process of this kind of grief. And it's too bad that we're not better at talking about it. It's one of the reasons I wanted to write this book to sort of make it okay. You know, heartbreak is a normal thing that we go through 
these emotions are okay to experience. And in fact, if we can let ourselves be open to these big emotions, at the end, we're also more open to positive emotions and we feel more alive and more capable of love. So that is the ultimate benefit of heartbreak. Oh, that's interesting. So you think if you've been through heartbreak, you you are more capable of love. I do feel that way. Absolutely. Not for everybody. I think that sometimes there are some people who can't get over their heartbreaks who have a very hard time with it. And part of that is because I think they do feel like it's very isolating and they're perhaps dealing with past trauma and they're dealing with shame. And all of these things are helped by recognizing the common humanity of these experiences. Yeah, I think a lot of people that I see in my clinic get stuck in the injustice of it. The, the fact that they're left on their own and, and this is when they've been betrayed, maybe it was someone else's decision. Like they weren't ready to leave, someone left. And then I think that probably takes a little bit more healing than when you're fizzling out and you're both done. It does. And I think it's important if you want to try to avoid the sort of bitterness that can set in over very long periods of time. I think it's it's also important to recognize the opportunities that are opened up to you, you know, from this experience and to try to find meaning in it. You know, what are the lessons that you can take moving forward in your life? Where do you go from here rather than just dwelling on what happened to you in the past? But how can you take this experience, move forward in a way that you actually become a better person and become more available emotionally for the people who are in your life and who you still do love. Yeah, that's really interesting. Is there a time frame? Do you think on this? Is there, you know, is, is there a set time frame that you should be for people listening, thinking, well, you know, I've been going through this for six months or a year. When when am I going to start to feel like I can do some of these things? I think for a lot of us, it takes a very long time. There is science indicating that in terms of our bodies immune system responses, that inflammation I talked about, the feelings of anxiety. After a long marriage, it takes on average four years to return to baseline in terms of your immune system. So that's a very long time, four years. You know, at 12 months out, 18 months out, if you're still feeling bad, it's okay. That is normal. Yeah. But obviously there's ways, you know, and obviously I teach that as well, ways we can speed it up. Yes. And just because your immune system is not perfect, doesn't mean that you aren't also experiencing great moments of joy, great satisfaction, great relationships. It just means that your body's been through a lot. Your heart has been through a lot and it takes a little while. Yeah. And just knowing that it's, it's normal to be upset and you kind of have to go through that grieving process. Although I would say four years is way too long and it's time to grab your control back and start doing some things to turn things around. So if you read my book, I think you can speed it up by about 50% or at least by about 25%. So Awesome. Yeah. Well, we need to get reading the book, guys. So your top two tips, the things that were most powerful for you. I know you said that there wasn't one thing that completely changed things, but if someone's listening to this going, where do I start, Florence? Where do I get going? What would you recommend? Uh, so I actually have a three-part three part sort of strategy. One is you have to figure out how to calm down because while you're in that tremendous state of anxiety, no healing is going to happen. So whatever you need to do to sort of calm down. For me, that was walking in nature, you know, being with friends, doing some meditation, breathing. And then the second part is connecting. So first is calm, then is connecting, connecting to your friends and family, to your authentic support network, uh, and also connecting to nature and the natural world or connecting to beauty, however you find it, music, art, architecture. And then the third piece is this meaning making, really digging into the story of who you are, 
now moving forward and how hopefully you can take these lessons to help yourself and also help others. I think that's really important, that meaning part, because you know, we don't want to look at this as wasted time in our life. Or, you know, I've had a client this morning saying to me, I've just wasted the last 15 years of my life. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not true, is it? That, you know, you can take the benefit from that. And, and it's important not to waste the next 10, 15 years. That's right. Yeah. So, okay. So meaning is important. And then maybe if you can, turning that pain into your power. I mean, trying to find that meaning so you get a purpose and like reinvent yourself. How did you reinvent yourself? Because obviously looking at you now, you look fabulous and you've written an amazing book that's going to help so many people. Yeah. Yeah. For For me, the key was really recognizing that this was an experience that was going to help me be more capable of love, not necessarily romantic love, but you know, love of my friends, love of my children, love of my community, love of nature. And ultimately, that's what life is all about. You know, if we can open up our hearts after this experience, we are way ahead of the game. I love that. I love that. Well, I mean, so much is so many insights and fascinating takes on this. But where can people find out more about you and your book, Florence? Yeah, thank you so much for asking, Sarah. Um, my website is lawrencewilliams.com. And there's information about the audiobook and my other print books and other articles and projects I'm working on. Thank you. Awesome. Well, everyone needs to check that out. I have one last question for you, Florence. I ask okay. all my guests. Obviously, as you know, the podcast is called Heartbreak to Happiness. And I think it's really important to know what happiness is for you. So even when you're going through some of those dark moments, maybe in the wilderness in Utah, you can tap into that along the way. So what is happiness for you, Florence? Happiness for me is being outside with my kids. I love that. That's combining it all at once. Yeah, that's everything, isn't it? Outside in nature and your kids. Perfect. Love it. Well, thank you so much for for your time today and for sharing such great information. And uh, thank you for being a fabulous guest. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's been a pleasure. That's it for today's episode. Do head on over to florencewilliams.com and also get your copy of Heartbreak, A Practical and Scientific Journey. And I look forward to you joining me on my next episode. That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to one of Sara's virtual retreats. The retreats are a transformative combination of live webinars with Sara herself, coupled with empowering online video programs designed to help you cope better with your breakup and start feeling happy again. For more details, head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com where you can also get a copy of Sara's free gift. Thank you and join us again on the next episode for another dose of Heartbreak to Happiness. Happiness.